Good morning. You ever been to uh, the grocery store, the Target, or the mall, and you're shopping, or you're maybe people watching, and you see a child throwing a temper tantrum, and you think to yourself, are the parents going to do something about that? Because I'd be glad to. In fact, you look around and you see a line forming of people ready to do something because mom or dad is not. You ever been to the grocery store or Target or the mall and the kid that's throwing a temper tantrum is your kid? That sheds a whole different light on it, doesn't it? When it's your kid, everyone's lined up to smack around. It's a whole different thing, isn't it? Do you think the parents still love their child even though he acts that way? Why? I mean, there's nothing cute about it, right? There's nothing sweet about it. How could you still love a child even when he's acting that way? When I was teaching school, quite often I'd have to have a parent-teacher conference with parents of a child that was being disruptive, not doing their work, whatever it may be. And nine times out of ten, the parent would try to defend the child's actions. Rather than saying, I hear what you're saying, I'll go home and take care of it, most of the time they tried to justify it or defend it, or both. And they'd say things like, well, you know, he's just misunderstood. He's really bored with school. That's why he acts out. He's really a good kid. And I think to myself, only a mother could say that, right? But they still loved their child. Even though he was a discipline problem, even though he or she was in trouble all the time, they still loved their child. Why? You know, the church is much the same way. The church has its share of problems, and maybe you could give a list of the ones that you have, but we should still love her. Everything you love in life is flawed, everything. There's not a single thing you love that's, that's perfect, nothing. If your love for the church were based on it being perfect, you'd have nowhere to worship, right? As I've said before, even if the church was perfect, you going there would ruin it because you're not. And so when it comes to loving things, we all love things that are flawed, whether it's our job, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our kids. None of those things are perfect, and yet we love them anyway. Why should the church be any different? Why do we expect perfection from the church? Why is it that we demand that the church be absolutely perfect, and if it's not, we're going to leave and we're going to find somewhere else, or we're just not going to go? We don't operate like that with anything else in life. There's not a single thing in life that we demand that type of perfection. So why the church? You know, I think that the church's imperfection is a good reason to love her. The very fact that God's body, Christ's body, is imperfect is good reason to love it. You think about it. God has called imperfect people to lead a countercultural movement and to spread the gospel to a world in desperate need of a perfect Savior. Because we're imperfect, we can sympathize with the world. Because we are redeemed, we can look at the world around us that is so broken and in such a mess, and we can say, they need the same redemption that we need. We of all people know what it means to be imperfect. The world certainly understands what it means to be imperfect. And so we offer a solution. We offer the one thing that can help them to live and survive in a broken world. 
And the church should act in that way. The church should be a place that, though imperfect, is redeemed and shows others what it means to live imperfectly and yet be redeemed and be united in a common effort. She may not be perfect, but the message and the mission most definitely is. And we've got to be in the world propagating those things. You see, there are two sides to the church. There is the divine side and the human side. The divine side is the side that God is on, Jesus is on, it is perfect. There's no flaw in that side whatsoever, not one. There's not a single thing about the divine side of the church that needs fixing, that is a mess, that is broken, not in any way, shape, or form. God established the church. Jesus purchased the church member by member with his own blood. There's nothing imperfect about that. The human side is where it falls short. The human side is where we see the warts and the scars and where we see the problems, right? It's the human side that kind of messes it up. Because where you have people, you have problems. And so therefore, it's the human side that seems to have its shortcomings and causes the problems that we see oftentimes in the church. I want you to notice what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to notice that Paul opens with the divine side. He refers to these Christians in Corinth as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for them and for the grace of God which was given to them in Christ Jesus. These Christians had been enriched in the Lord in all speech and all knowledge. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. And Paul appeals to the fact that God is faithful and through him the Corinthian brethren were called into fellowship with God's Son. All of these perfect things were perfect because they represent the divine side, the godly side, the Christ side of the church. In the closing of this letter, Paul writes, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Paul begins with the divine side in talking about all the wonderful things and the blessings that come with being in Christ and being the church. He says, you are the people of God, saints according to the calling. And he closes out with a beautiful ending by saying, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. But in between the two, in between the opening and the closing, Paul basically says, you people are a mess. You've got some major problems that you need to fix. I mean, one of the themes that we see Paul reiterate over and over again is the theme of unity, and certainly he goes about that in 1 Corinthians. But from opening to closing in between, he's talking about how broken these people are and how they need to fix it. But I want you to notice that Paul still refers to them as saints. He still sees them as the church. I mean, the Corinthian church was messed up. 
and yet Paul still referred to them as Christians. We've got to stop idealizing the first church. We talk about being the first church and going back to being the New Testament church, and, and I agree with that totally. As long as you understand, they weren't perfect either. We have this idea that the first church was perfect, and if we could just be like them, everything would be fine. The first church wasn't perfect. Read Paul's letters. They had their problems, many of the same problems that we have today. Yet they were still considered the Lord's body. That should tell us something. That even though they were imperfect, they were still redeemed, and there was still hope. If all you do all day is sit at home and watch CNN or Fox News, you're going to develop a pretty negative view of the world. You know what? If all you do all day is sit down at the Department of Motor Vehicles, you're going to develop a pretty negative attitude. If all you do is sit in Dallas traffic all day, every day, you're going to have a pretty negative slant toward the world. You know, our attitude towards the church sometimes needs fixing because we tend to take a negative approach without realizing there are some blessings in our imperfection. It's like the guy who's been to one church his whole life and had one bad experience. He's been to one church one time and had a bad experience and has determined that all churches are full of hypocrites and he'll never return. That's painting with a pretty broad brush, isn't it? Or the lady whose husband left her for another woman and she has sworn off all men. They're all pigs. No, they're not. You just picked a bad one. They're not all bad, right? We've got to stop painting with a broad brush. We've got to stop generalizing. That's not fair, right? We've got to look at this from a different perspective, a bigger perspective. Yes, the church can have some negatives. Yes, there are some bad churches, and there are some people who've had some bad experiences. But that doesn't mean the church as a whole needs to be written off. My love for the church here at Oldham Lane is not predicated upon her being perfect. And if you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. I want to give you four reasons this morning why I love Oldham Lane. This is our one-word study, and we're studying the word church this morning, and I think it'd be a good time for me to just reiterate to you four reasons why I love the church. It's not an exhaustive list. There's more reasons why, but these are the four main reasons. And here's the first one, casseroles. Now, those of you who know me very well know that I don't like casseroles. I don't like them at all. And so, my love for the Oldham Lane Church is not that we have good casseroles, because I don't know that there is such a thing, right? My love for Oldham Lane as it pertains to casseroles is the fact that, to my knowledge, not one of you has ever tried to disfellowship me because I don't like casseroles. To my knowledge... No one has ever said anything negatively or rude about me because I don't like casseroles. You tease me, you joke, you poke and you prod, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, my acceptance from you is not based on the fact that I dislike casseroles or like casseroles. You know, there are some churches that really struggle with unity and that even are split if they're not split, members won't talk to each other. They worship in the same auditorium every Sunday without speaking to one another or sharing any kind of fellowship within these walls because of a religious opinion or scruple or tradition. I am thankful 
that at least to my knowledge, we don't have that here. That we come together and that we are unified on the things that really matter. This is a place where people come together from all different backgrounds. We have different histories. We have different, you know, we come from different cultures, different places. And yet we're all able to come together and to love one another and worship the God who loves us. But unfortunately, there are some churches where it's not this way. Where we get hung up on scruples or opinions or, or traditions. And people are divided over those things. And I think that Paul addresses this very thing. Apparently, this is not a new issue. Apparently, it existed from the very beginning of the church. If you look at Romans chapter 14, Paul writes, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in it itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul says there are some other things that are more important. But this food and this drink, that's, that's not it. You are focused on things that don't matter. What matters most are these things that he mentions here in the closing. Paul goes on to write in verse 20, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. And we could rightly say, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of your religious opinion, or your scruple, or your tradition, right? They may mean a lot to us, but they don't have near the weight that we think they do. I love this church because you're not stricter than God is. And that's huge. Because I've, I've spoken with churches and I've spoken with folks and leaders in other churches that they're stricter than God is. They have disfellowshipped someone that God would rather fellowship, and that's a problem. All over something that it was a tradition or, or a scruple or an opinion. There are things that matter more. There are weightier matters, as Paul refers to. The Lord's body must be unified on what really matters. And it really doesn't matter if you prefer, prefer the New King James over the NASB or whatever. The important thing is, is that you're studying from God's Word. It doesn't necessarily matter where the Lord's Supper is placed in the order of service, but that you and I partake of it together, remembering the reason for it. It doesn't really matter whether we sing newer songs or older songs, as long as those are scriptural. What really matters is that we sing together in praise of God and the edification of one another. I am thankful to be a part of a body where people are willing to set aside their scruples for the sake of what matters most. You know, many years ago, the Bear Corporation put a cotton ball inside their bottles of aspirin because they felt that it helped keep them fresh. They later learned through research that the cotton didn't do any good. It serves no purpose. And yet, you can still buy a bottle of aspirin and find that cotton. It's kind of hard to get out, and it kind of, you know, it, but it doesn't serve any purpose. It doesn't do anything. Why do they still put it in there? Probably tradition. They always have. I'm so glad that we have people here that have a mindset that says, you know what, my tradition or my scruple or my opinion is not more important than the love and unity of this church. Here's another reason why I love Oldham Lane. 
gardening. You know, when I was very young, my grandfather kept two gardens. One at his house and one at my house. And every morning, I would look out my window and I'd see him at, the, at my house out in the garden working. And I, I would run outside to help him. I loved my grandfather. He was my hero. And so I would go out and I'd help him do whatever it was that he asked me to do. Whether it was pulling turnips, whether it was you know, fertilizing, whether it was spraying seven dust, whatever it was, I would help him in any way that he would let me help. As I think about it, I don't know that I necessarily love gardening. I love being around my grandfather. And whatever he was doing is what I wanted to be doing. And God is planting a beautiful garden here at Oldham Lane. He is growing something magnificent here at Oldham Lane. We get to be a part of that. We often talk about church growth by talking about the number of baptisms or people placing membership. There is growth occurring every single Sunday here at Oldham Lane and really every day with the people that we have as Christians here. God is cultivating and growing a garden. And hopefully we are succumbing to that. We are allowing him to work. We are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're taking advantage of the opportunity to be here at Bible class and to learn more from God's word. To study on our own daily as we look into his word and understand what it means for us. But you know, unlike physical growth, spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Physical growth is going to happen unless you have some sort of malady. Spiritual growth is a choice. A toddler grows up to be a, 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 a child. A child grows to be a teenager. A teenager grows to be an adult. You know, that just happens. But spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It's chosen. We have many people here that are choosing to grow. And the reason I know this is because you come and you talk to me and you ask Bible questions, you email me Bible questions, you talk to me about the Bible, you talk to me about, hey, I appreciate that lesson because that challenged me, that helped me to grow, that caused me to think. Those are great things that I love to hear because it tells me that you are searching the scriptures, that you're listening, but not only listening, you're going back to see if those things were so, like the noble-minded Bereans did. Spiritual growth, Jesus said, requires labor in John 6 27 Paul wrote that it requires work Peter stated that it requires diligence it is ongoing it is persistent it it is continuous it is a concerted effort and really it is all dependent on your level of love do you love Jesus do you want to know more about him do you want to know more of what he expects from you then you'll search his word Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. One of the great things about Oldham Lane is that there are many people here who are hungry. And hopefully you feel like you're being fed. Paul wrote, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. This is one of the greenest, lushest, most bountiful gardens that I have ever been a part of. We have something so great and so special here, and God is doing a great work. And I want to encourage you to keep growing. Keep producing fruit. Keep loving what Jesus loved. Here's the third reason. I liken it to Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day is one of those days where hopefully love is ever-present and you know, spouses show their love to their spouse, and, you know, we, we show our love, you know, to our kids, and our kids take 
you know, Valentines to school and exchange them with their friends. I'm blessed to be a part of a congregation that shares its love, not just with me, but with one another. You know, I spent last week in Florida on vacation after this morning's lesson. Pretty quickly after I get done, I'm heading to Red River, New Mexico, speak there in the morning. I'll get to spend some time in the mountains and spend some time with some preacher friends. And one of the highlights of the week is sitting down at breakfast every morning and listening to preachers talk about how we can be better. But it seems like every time we sit down and have these discussions, it turns into some of the things that these preachers are dealing with at their various congregations. And some of them are toxic. Some of them you wouldn't believe your ears, some of the things that they are presenting, that they're dealing with, that they're trying to overcome. And every time I sit back and I think, I, I just have lived in a bubble my whole life in ministry. I've never dealt with things like this. I've never really dealt with any major problems. And I'm thankful for that. That's not to say that they may not come, but knock on wood, we've been very fortunate here and very blessed by God that we hadn't had to deal with a lot of those major issues like some congregations have had to deal with, going through splits and things of that nature. And I'm so grateful that we have a well-led congregation full of people who love the Lord and who are seeking unity, who are seeking what is best for one another and certainly what God expects. This is a congregation that I feel confident understands love. Can we always do love better? Sure, any congregation can. But we get love. You understand love. Many, many times I'm told by visitors, this is a very loving congregation. That is our calling card and one that I think we need to be very proud of and one that we need to keep pushing. That's an agenda we need to continue to push. Last year, I had a pretty difficult week, and I'm not complaining. I love what I do, and certainly, uh, even in the difficult weeks, it's still enjoyable. But I had Two funerals on the same day. I spoke at a baccalaureate that Sunday. I had a wedding that Saturday. There were several things that are going on just in that one week that, you know, quite honestly, it was pretty taxing. It was mentally draining. And yet many of you paid attention and you came to me and you said, are you holding up? Are you doing okay? The elders made sure to ask, is everything good? Are you, are you doing okay? Because you understand. I don't know how many times that somebody has come up to me and at just the right time said the right thing. That's a gift. And I thank you for that. And I hope that I have been a blessing to you, and I hope that I don't allow you know, the work of the church to get in the way of what's most important, and that is our relationship. You know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love should be the identifying mark of a Christian. Above everything else, above, are you right do you believe the right things? You, no, it's love first. That's your identifying mark. Love can be a huge calling card as far as uh, our evangelism efforts. When a broken world can see a loving family that is able to unite in the midst of differences and in a world that is so fractured, when people can see a loving family come together for a greater purpose, that can be a huge point of evangelism. And of course, when we bring people in because of our love, then we show them that we also have a love for truth, we have a love for God, we have a love for, for being His people. But it starts with love. And I'm grateful that you understand that. And finally, let me just say that 
One of the great things about Oldham Lane is that it's home. Again, I spent last week in Florida, and it was great to just unplug and to kind of recharge, but yesterday on the 13-hour drive home, I just kept thinking I can't get here fast enough. I couldn't wait to get home. Y'all know about home, right? All of you have a home. It sits on a physical street. It has a physical address. But what makes it home? The bricks, the mortar, the siding, the roof? What makes it home is because who lives there, right? It's the people that reside there. What makes Oldham Lane home is not the building, not even the new building, as nice as that is. What makes it home are the people that are here and the people that I get to see, that I get to serve with each and every week, each and every day, really. I get to be a part of a family. That's what makes it home. And I hope that you feel like that it is home as well. When you're away from home, the one thing that you miss in wanting to get back are the people, right? Listen to what is written in Psalm 92, starting in verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. There is no other place on earth that has the capacity to create what we have right here. Let me say that again in case you weren't listening. There is no other place on earth that has the capacity to create what we have right here at Oldham Lane. Church family gathering together in one place is the only real hope for a fragmented and hurting world. Everyone has the opportunity to thrive in an atmosphere where they are loved and accepted. We have a tremendous capacity for growth when we plant our feet in a place where heaven's culture is displayed here on earth. Where prayers are prayed, where the Bible is taught and lived, where the lost encounter a Savior, where friendships are fostered and forged and lived, where God's family can grow and flourish. We all need a place that we can call home. This is home for me. No matter where I go, this is home. No matter where I may end up years from now, this will always be home. Because of you. Because of the people that are here. Many of you have been here for a very long time, maybe since the beginning of Oldham Lane. Some of you have no other experience but Oldham Lane. Let me tell you folks, I've been at other places and I get to preach at a lot of other places and we are unique. We have something very special here. That's not to say that we're the only ones doing it right or we're the only ones that are special to God, but we have something unique here. This is a time in the life of this congregation that is, is, that is, 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 is wonderful and, and magnificent, but a time that we need to relish, that we need to grasp, and we need to say, God is blessing us in amazing ways, and we need to do something with that. We need to make sure that now, more than ever, we don't rest on our laurels or we don't kick our feet up and say, things are great, let's just enjoy it, but that we take this blessing from God and we turn it into something even greater. For such a time as this, God has blessed us. Let's make sure we do something with it. I'm sure that 
you heard the little joke about the doctor who sits down with the patient and tells him, I've got bad news and worse news. You heard that? And the patient says, wow, okay, what is it? And the doctor says, you've only got 24 hours to live. And the patient says, wow, I, I don't know of anything that could be worse than that. And he said, well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. Have you, you heard that? You know, there, there's a lot of bad news floating around. There's a lot of negativity in our world. I mean, you just look around. You don't have to look very long to find the negative and the bad and the, and the stuff that just breaks your heart. This is our refuge from that. This is a place where we can come and hopefully we can check our problems at the door. We can leave the world outside for a moment and we can come together in fellowship and love for one another and love with God and fellowship with God and we can enjoy our time together. This is a special place. You know, with all the negativity out there, it's, it's kind of infiltrated the church and it's almost in vogue today to talk about how bad the church is and, and take difference with... Uh, with uh, organized religion or institutionalized religion is the new term. It's kind of hip and millennial to say, I love Jesus but hate the church. Folks, let me tell you something. That's a bunch of bunk, not to put too fine a point on it. The divine side is perfect. And I grant you, the human side messes it up sometimes. But let's embrace the imperfect. And let's understand that even though imperfect, we have a wonderful mission, and a wonderful message that is perfect. And I want to close just by saying this. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for wanting to be more than who you are. And thank you for making this place special. Thank you for making it home. Thank you for blessing my life in so many ways and the life of my family. And I just want to take a moment this morning to bring our elders up here and let's have a prayer for them and for our congregation and then we'll have an invitation and, and, and we'll close out. Elders, if you would. I've said this before and I continue to say it. This is not smoke and mirrors. It's not lip service. These men are some of the finest men that I've ever gotten to know or, or to be around and they are doing the very best that they know to do to lead you Sometimes it's a thankless job, sometimes it's a difficult job, but they do a fantastic job of making the best decisions for our family here. And we need to be praying for them on a daily basis. And I know they're praying for you. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to gather as a family, to love on one another and to sing praises to you, to learn more about you from your word, to partake of the supper, to give you all thanks and praise. God, we pray for these men that are leading us. We thank you so much for what they do and for how much that they endure. We thank you for their wives, for their families, and what uh, they deal with in serving alongside their husbands who serve this church. God, we thank you for this church and what it means to us. We all need support. We all need encouragement. We all need prayer. We pray for these men and we pray for this congregation. We pray for the staff, the deacons, all of those that have a hand in helping this church to grow and to flourish. Of course, all credit goes to you, God. You are a king. Christ is a savior and we appreciate so much what you have done for us and for this body. Help us, God, as we go forward to 
to do our utmost for your highest. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. We are missing a, a few of the guys this morning. One of them's on a mission trip, so we'll let him slide, I guess. Again, thank you for being here this morning. If you're looking for a church home, I'm a little biased. I think you found it. This is a wonderful place to call home. Maybe you're someone that's just in the very beginning stages of learning about Christianity, learning about what it means to serve uh, a risen Savior, learning about what it means to even crack open a Bible and what it has to say. If you want to study further with someone this morning, get in touch with one of the elders, myself, or one of the uh, staff members, and we can, we can certainly help you in that effort. Perhaps you've done that. Maybe you are a child of God, and perhaps you haven't been following the right path. Maybe you veered off course some time ago, and you need the prayers and support of this church family to come back home. Or maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism this morning and begin a daily walk with God. We say it every week. Don't leave here without being right with Him. Let us help you. If you've got a need, come now as we stand and as we sing.